Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the Communication Director at Covenant, and the Preaching Pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Well, good afternoon and welcome to our sermon discussion. I'm Michelle Lichty and I am here with David Henderson. And we are discussing uh, David's sermon from this past Sunday, God's gracious invitation and our response from portions of Exodus 19 and 20. So the, um, we're in a new sermon series called Ascent, and it's following Moses up the path to deeper intimacy with God. Did I get that subtitle right? right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and so we, so you opened it on Sunday morning. You opened with the question of why do we attend church? Mm-hmm. And it's not to make sure that the quarter can smile. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> referring to a story from my childhood, which I remember vividly of of taking my change in my pocket for the offering and mm-hmm. tilting it in the light and making whoever was on the front of the coin grin. Um, yeah. It was yeah. A, a picture of the height of my boredom at some of the, it's in the midst of some of the worship. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think it um, obviously that was an extreme situation of me being completely disengaged, but I, I think there can be, a little bit of that crisis of purpose that happens for any of us during a worship service that kind of, wait, what am I doing here? What do we, what, mm-hmm. what is this meaning to accomplish? And, you know, we're busy people and we try to make efficient use of our time and we deal with concrete things all day. And then we come into this kind of abstract and an invisible reality. And, and it's not a terribly efficient experience um, in uh, compared to other times for us. And, uh, so I think, I think it can create, just raise those wider questions of why am I here? And I think that really significant shapes then um, what, what our experience coming out of worship is. Hmm. Yeah. And so we, yeah, so we talked a lot about, um, or you, you went into, you know, kind of the place, um, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, um, the people, so we're the Israelites, it's Moses, um, it's God descending onto the mountain. Um, and, and the, the point of, of, so that was setting the stage, setting the scene of where we are in Exodus. And, um, but, but the point of the message was to discuss God's invitation, um, to his people, Um, And so, you know, some of the questions that have come out of Sunday morning's service, our sermon, um, I think uh, it can, yeah, it can be a little confusing because we're talking about Moses and the Israelites and, and God says only Moses is allowed up on the mountain. Um, and, And none of the Israelites can even step foot on the mountain. So watch your step. And it's like, wait, so how is that a gracious invitation? <laughs> and, and how am, am I supposed to consider myself Moses 
Or am I supposed to consider myself like an Israelite? So how would you respond to that? Yeah, that's, I, I love the question. So um, let me, let me first say this, that I just think is uh, an important premise of this whole series. And that is that I believe that the reason that we gather together for worship is not to just do things together or not just to do things as led from up front, but to encounter God, to, that we believe that God is alive. He's real. He defines reality and he defines moments for us. And mm-hmm. he, uh, he expects us to encounter himself when we gather together in worship. And so the, the invitation is God saying, come to me and I will make myself available to you. I will reveal myself to you. I'll be, be present in your midst. So it's this incredible, incredibly like, mystical reality that is, um, that is true of us encountering God. So mm-hmm. um, I think, I think two, two different dimensions to the question you, ju- you just asked. First, uh, how, do we, how do we take this thing, which was Moses and the Israelites' experience and translated into our own experience? And to answer that, just uh, let me just uh, take a little bit of time with that. One of the things that, that you'll notice that I did in this sermon, and we'll do this each time in this series, is I very intentionally went from the, okay, that was 1,500 years before Christ, but mm-hmm. then we have the fulfillment of God's purposes. That what, um, what happened at Mount Sinai was a beginning, not a completion. That wasn't the whole story about how we access God. That was an introduction to the, to the tale. So it's crucial whenever we are understanding an Old Testament passage, that we don't look at it just side by side of the New Testament and go, oh, this passage says this, this is how it applies to me today. We have to turn that sideways and say, if it's an Old Testament passage, I have to read it and understand it through the New Testament and mm-hmm. make sure that I have a proper frame of reference. So um, who are the people of God? Well, on this side of the cross, the people of God are only whoever knows and loves and believes in Jesus. And the national category of Israel no longer uh, applies. The new Israel is all of the people of God in Christ. So that's part of the interpretive thing is like, oh, okay. So we're not just talking about who are the people who are, have the same bloodline or whatever. It's, we're talking about how does anybody who follows Christ, who follows Christ approach God? One of the other things that you see in the Old Testament is that the way that, that God worked is he often would relate to leaders separately from how he related to the whole people of God. And they sort of were representative heads of the people, but sometimes they were, they were treated differently. And the spirit of God didn't fall on all the people of God. The spirit of God would tend to fall on the leader. So there tended to be a, a different sort of experience that a leader had in the Old Testament from the way the rest of the people experienced God. All of that distinction is gone when you get to the New Testament, completely gone. And there is not any sense in which I, as a pastor, have any more access. I'm not invited to any more of an intimate place uh, than, uh, than anybody else's. And in fact, we all have equal intimacy with God. Uh, professional Christian or not is an irrelevant dimension to that. 
And, mm. and then we see, and we're going to be looking at this over the next few weeks, the wonderful passage where, you know, the, 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 the way in which God expresses his available availability to us on this side of the cross is that we have a high priest to open the way for us and we can run with confidence into the presence of God, knowing there we will receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 and 16. This stunning picture of access, it's even beyond what Moses had, uh, Mm -hmm. is available to all of us. So that's why I said, I think this is a paradigm. It's not, it's not the how-to manual and we can't, there's not every part of it that is a direct one-to-one. We have to see all of this kind of through the reality of Jesus and say, in what way does this find its, its fulfilled experience on this side of the cross? One other thing that I think people may miss in this passage, and there's a whole lot there, so I get why we would miss it. But what, what's interesting is that, um, well, okay, so two other thoughts. One is that it, it actually does say God um, kind of keeps the people of God away until a point where, and I don't remember what the passage is, where it says, then they are able to come near to God. And I think that that one line gets missed. You know, Moses is mm. going up and down the mountain, but even the people of God, it's not like God is saying, Moses only, he's saying, all of you, I want you to approach me. But there is a unique way in this case with Moses that that gets experienced. Mm. So, so all of that is one side of this. And I realize this is kind of complicated, but I think that is a really important frame of reference as we understand any Old Testament passage that we, that it always needs to be understood through the interpretive grid of what, of how things get fulfilled in Christ. But Mm -hmm. one other thing that I would say is, um, and I, I quickly ran past this in my sermon on Sunday, but um, to come back to it, the nature and character of God don't have anything to do with his welcome, his initiating welcome of us. They are just what's true about the nature and character of God. Hmm. So what is true about God that is represented by the trumpet blast and the mountain shaking and the fire and the cloud and all of that, um, none of that is inherently off-putting. It's disarming and foreboding for us as creatures witnessing that. But, but none of that, it's not like God glaring at us. It's not like God crossing, folding his arms and going, just dare try approaching me. Go on, just go ahead, try it. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. those are just ways of expressing God is so different from us. He is transcendent. He is perfect. He's holy. He's majestic and mighty. And all of those uh, parts of the people of God's experience of him are just the veil being pulled back and going, Oh, that's right. That's what God's like. And we're going to be talking about that this Sunday, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. kind of what his transcendence, his holiness and his love as, as core um, aspects of his nature and character that move us to, um, to see God more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. So that was why I really wanted to show, you know, the, the, the heart of God towards his people is not captured in is not reflected at all in the flame, the cloud, the, the, the quakes, the, you know, the trumpet blasts. Those are just God being God. But there is this profound expression of the welcome of God when we see his own description of how he has brought his people to himself. Yeah. I 
I swooped in like an eagle, what protective, hovered over you, fended off the enemy, um, shielded you, scooped you up in my talons and brought you to the safety of my nest. I brought you to myself. That's how much I love you. I, out of all the people on this planet, I chose you. You are my special treasured possession. You, I, I am fond of you with the affection of a father for a son. I, I've created a covenant relationship where I commit my heart to you and invite you to commit your heart to me. Mm -hmm. And I want, I have a place for you to serve in this world, to, to um, be my representative in this world, my priests and my holy nation. So the, I think the welcoming heart of God is captured in a different dimension than some of those kind of uh, fireworks. Physical. Kind of, yes, exactly. The physical right. expressions of his attributes. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Oh, and one thing that was running through my mind as I was listening to the sermon is that God is God and he, as God, gets to choose how we approach him or how, yes. you know, and so, you know, every time I think like, oh my goodness, I would be with those Israelites cowering, um, I think, and God is God. He's different. He's holy. He's transcendent. And so he gets to choose the methods by which we approach him. We don't get to choose that. I, I think that is so profoundly important. I think a huge dimension of the crisis of faith in the United States right now is that the consumer mentality has so uh, steeped in our hearts that even down to this fundamental question, is there a God and what is he like? I'm, I'm approaching that question as a potential worshiper, asking the question, well, is that the sort of God I would want? Is that mm -hmm. what I want God to be like? Mm -hmm. um, is, isn't there another something or, you know, and so we, um, which is absurd. The, Evelyn Underhill in her writings talks a lot about the idea that um, God is reality and mm. me, me worshiping God is me rightly orienting myself to reality. Um, he defines everything. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So, so for me to decide God isn't really the sort of God I want him to be like is the height of arrogance and pride. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so typical of our hearts as human beings, but it finds right. this unique American expression of, I'm not sure I want God to be that kind of God. <laughs> yeah. So, so therefore, Great. I think I'll okay. just, yeah, right. I don't need to. And, and, I, and I laugh because that's exactly what my own experience of atheism was. I, yeah. I was at, at the core of my decision to be an atheist for so many years is I did not want to answer to that kind of a God. Mm. So I just chose to deny that he existed. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, yeah. the fundamental absurdity of that, um, right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So um, no, you're exactly right. And then it, yes. Yeah. Well, one of the other questions, um, that we had on Sunday morning, um, in the Sunday morning discussion group, um, was where where does community fit into, into this? 
<laughs> this is great. I love these questions because they're all anticipating where this sermon series is going. This is great. That's well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So great, a great setup. Let me just first, Michelle, would you just describe that Sunday morning gathering that takes place every oh, Sunday? I, yes. So, so there's a group of us who attend this service at 9 a.m. and then, or watch it or participate online. And then we gather um, downstairs and we just discuss the sermon and, um, and we have people who are in person and we also have people on zoom who we've got one person who actually joins us from Pennsylvania, I think actually. Um, and so then we have a discussion and then we, and then we break into what groups around our tables or on the online people um, to pray for each other. That's so it's awesome. about an hour to an hour and 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on how long the prayer <laughs> time goes. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And, and we have some great discussion, like, um, you know, preparing ourselves for worship and how, you know, and do we have to worship perfectly every Sunday and, and is worship confined to Sunday or is it all like, these are all topics that we discussed on Sunday morning. That's is very fun. 24 seven, or is it just confined to Sunday mornings at 9am? So Michelle, I would just say, I, I so love that we have that gathering and there, there's so many ways in which I see my sermon as a, just as a beginning, it's, it's really a catalyst. I'm, I'm speaking broadly and, and saying, these are, these are truths that apply to all of us, but then there's a a narrowing that has to happen, a narrowing Mm -hmm. to more to people in my uh, phase of life or people in my unique set of circumstances. And then there's a further narrowing eventually that's down to just me. What is God asking of me? What's his personal invitation? So to be able to have this part two where it, it narrows and uh, only increases the relevance and practicality and, and sort of the application side of the message. And, and I think, boy, um, it, I just would, really advocate people jumping in on that. I think that's awesome. Uh, So, so the, the question is, what is the place of other people? And, uh, and I think it's a, and it's, it's an incredibly um, observant observation. And I think, I think the, um, so anticipating where we're going. So I'll just answer this briefly and then we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll get a chance to open this up later. Um, one of the things you notice is God keeps saying, Moses, come up here by yourself and bring Aaron. Moses, come up here by yourself and bring the elders. Moses, come up here by yourself, but gather all the people of God at the mountain. So he keeps saying both. It is, this is an individual pursuit of me. And this is a corporate pursuit of me. Mm. And, and, and I think that is, um, that is a beautiful way of getting at the tension. What is always true is that intimacy with God is something that God means to be a community experience and uh, and we are to approach God together and what is always true is that intimacy with God is meant to become profoundly personal narrowed down to me and the God of the universe and there will be a place always for all of us even in the middle of corporate worship where it is me and God, it, yes, it's me and my brothers and sisters, but there is a place where it becomes profoundly personal, not, not um, isolated from others, but just profoundly intimate. You can't have intimacy with 300 people. You have intimacy between two people. 
And, and I think there is a way that God means for us to draw near together and somehow in that at the same time to be drawing near individually. Um, and, and healthy worship has both of those parts. And we'll, we'll explore that more in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm glad to hear that. Um, one, one point that was brought out in that discussion that I thought was super helpful, and maybe this is also anticipating where this sermon series is going, is that um, as, as believers, um, you know, in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and God. And so we take every place we go, we take a sanctuary with us. And, um, and so as we go, this person said, you know, one of the things that I've just really tried to really live into in the past two years is that every place I go, I am bringing a sanctuary with me and how I behave and how I act is, uh, is not, is a reflection on, on Christ, but it is also, um, the Holy spirit in me. And so I need to honor him in those, in everywhere, everywhere I am all throughout the week. I so love that. And that absolutely does anticipate the last message in the series. Um, and it, it, one of the coolest things, I love this. When I, the first time I discovered this, I just couldn't believe it. Um, how, how, how does God approach us? He descends on Mount Sinai in cloud and fire. There's a revelatory dimension of flame. Um, and there's the obscuring dimension of cloud and both are true about God. We'll talk about that. Um, and then, um, and then God gives us this portable Mount Sinai that, uh, and, and at the end of Exodus, the, the pillar of cloud and fire descends on that. And then that goes with the Israelites and then the temple gets built and the pillar of cloud descends upon that. And that becomes God's residence, his permanent residence in Jerusalem until Christ comes. And then day of Pentecost, the trumpet sound and the pillar of cloud and fire comes and descends upon each individual. This is, I mean, it's this so cool, this incredibly cool fulfillment of this initial um, sort of type that God creates of the way in which that, that mirrors the heavenly real, realms uh, where God reigns. Um, so wherever we go, we are a temple of, of God and he is present in and to us. So um, we'll be looking at the tent of meeting that Moses has. So it's not just that this, um, the, the mountain experience, but he can go every day then and approach God and we have the spirit of God available to us. So, yeah, I think that's a wonderful connection. Yeah. Just the last thing. Well, I guess there's two more comments that I just want to bring out from our discussion on Sunday morning. Um, one is. Um, you know, I met, I alluded to it earlier, preparation for worship. Um, we, you know, people were saying several people, different people said, yes, we need to be prepared. You know, that's at some level, we need to be prepared to come into the church, into the service, um, to hear from God, um, to the best of our ability. And it's never going to be perfect because we are fallen humans and we need to be willing to participate again, to the best of our ability. It's not always going to be perfect. Um, 
And, and combining those two together equals a yieldedness to what God has planned for that Sunday morning, um, mm. which again, refers back to it's God's choice as yeah. to how we get to approach him, not ours. I just I mean, thought that a, was really helpful. Yeah, that's a really rich observation. Um, yeah, I think, um, and we've talked about this in the past at Covenant, a, a row of chairs facing a platform We are is an experience in which we are trained to passivity. I mean, you think, like, if you go to a musical concert, you're not even allowed to cough uh, during the performance. Um, and you have to stay put in your seat. It's there, there are these rules about how you engage. And basically they are rules of disengagement. Just sit there. Don't, you're not invited up on the platform. This isn't your thing. Just sit and mm-hmm. watch and listen. And uh, that completely misleads us in terms of what the core expectations are in what's happening in worship. The, the people up front are merely prompters and they are inviting us to worship God as they worship God. That's really the mm-hmm. essence of effective worship leadership. And so I come every Sunday prepared to give my first and my best to God uh, as, as the fresh offering of myself. And in that is a yieldedness that lets God do what he wants to do during that time. And uh, there is a profound recalibration of who I am, of who mm. we are, and, uh, and a, a fresh remembering of who God is that addresses my spiritual amnesia every time I come in. And yeah, right. so I think that the, the more we come prepared, I love that yeah. invitation on Moses's part to the people, consecrate yourselves, which means make yourself holy, get yourself ready, mm-hmm. uh, make yourself a um, fit to approach God. We can't do that perfectly, but yeah, ready your heart to approach God. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then giving our first and our best as we approach him in worship. Um, and, and yeah, it's that we, we talk about these, the first two values that, that we prize at Covenant are expectancy and yieldedness. Expectancy is wherever I go, I expect that to encounter God, I expect that he is part of whatever I'm about to enter into because mm-hmm. of who God is. He's alive. He's real. He defines this moment. He's available to us. And then yieldedness, which is that he rules over whatever moment I'm about to step into. This is his moment. And, and I get to um, be led by him in it and through it. I am his vessel in this. So that posture of profound availability, expectancy and yieldedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, yeah. I think it's a really rich observation on the part of whoever shared that. Yeah. The other, the other thing that, um, that was really, I'm not sure how to describe it, but, um, after the sermon and the the song of response, um, it was, um, you know, he is jealous for me. Mm -hmm. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his love and mercy. Um, that, and that song I've always, that song has always been meaningful to me just considering, you know, I used to live in Florida and so I've seen hurricanes and I've seen the palm trees and they, and they do, they just bend right over. And the, and so one of the things we were talking about was hurricane, like loves like a hurricane, like a hurricane is not comfortable. 
it is not safe. It's powerful. It, everyone is affected by the hurricane and whether, and so just thinking about, just thinking about God's love in that way. And it leaves its mark. And it leaves its mark. Right. And so we can either, we can either be palm trees bending over mm-hmm. um, and with the force of that love, or we can be the, the oak trees that are super, super strong. They stand up and, and after too many hurricanes, after strong enough winds, they just crack and fall and they're destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great picture. So that was, yeah, that just made me, it just, it also reminded me of what C.S. Lewis says in, in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. Aslan is not safe, but he is good. And and that's a picture that we get on, we get here in Exodus. Yes, that, that is exactly right, Michelle. And one of the reasons why I think this is so important is because interpretively, there are some Christians who, um, I think it's a mistake to see all Old Testament passages as being equally directly valid today as all New Testament passages. I don't believe they are. We have to read them like this. But there are also a lot of Christians who just leave the whole Old Testament off. And when you do that, if all you see of God is the incarnation, you see a faithful picture of God, but not a comprehensive view of God. Mm. You know, to, to mm-hmm. get the whole version, you have to go in the book of Revelation and see Jesus in Revelation 1 and Jesus in Revelation 19. Revelation 1 is this incredibly, um, you know, it's transcendent holy figure, very much like we encounter in Exodus. Mm-hmm. And in 19, he comes the King of Kings and Lord of Lords riding in as a warrior. It's like, oh yeah, there are those other fuller aspects of the transcendence of the holiness of God alongside uh, his kindly love, which is also equally true of him. And yeah, so I think that uh, it, it, we can overly, we, we can make the wrong conclusion from who Jesus is that all we see of God in him is all of God there is to see, mm. which isn't true. Mm-hmm. All we see in him is God and is a faithful picture of him, but that's not all there is to see of God. Mm. And that's, that's one of the places when I think it's really valuable to go back in the old Testament and go, okay, that's right. There is a, a wider dimension to yeah. what's true of God. than the, the, then the emptied himself version of God who comes Philippians chapter two, who comes in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, the, what I have found in my studies of the old Testament is that it just deepens and enriches my understanding of the new Testament. Yeah. And, and, and I see like, it, it's just fascinating to me. I see the, um, the way God revealed himself over time in little increments and bits and pieces. And it's, it just, it's like, as a mother, I'm looking at my children, you know, and I'm realizing, well, I don't give them all the information at once. Right. Like as a toddler, I give them the information they need then. And then, you know, as they grow, I give them more information. And I, it's like, I see that as kind of a microcosm of the whole of scripture. And I can't, 
really know my child as an adult unless I knew them as an infant to the same depth of understanding. Yep. So, and then I think another, alongside that, another whole exciting part of Old Testament paving the way for New Testament is all the way that it, all the ways that it gets us ready to make sense of Jesus when he finally arrives. If, right. if there was no Old Testament and you said Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice or Jesus is the Lamb of God, you go, what? what? What Jesus does that is mean? a farm animal. What does that mean? You know, it's, yeah, but exactly. you go, no, there's this whole sacrificial system that God put in place for uh, centuries in order for us to have an interpretive framework to make sense of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, there, I think there are a lot of really significant parts to that, the yeah. interplay between the old and the new. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts as we wrap up? Well, I, I guess you know, probably the one thing would be to, just to bring us back to the main thought of the message is to let ourselves be bowled over by the fact that God has taken such careful initiative to draw near to us mm. and God has been effusive in his invitation for us to draw near to him. And then God is so generous in what he invites us into. He isn't a stingy God, but Mm. wants to open up to us the fullness of what he has, life and abundance, and how all of those things become our experience in Christ. So I think, I think, um, you know, what I, that, that come away with me and my beloved, that to be able to Mm. hear God's invitation as being this profoundly intimate, come deeper with me. Mm Mm-hmm know more of who I am, know, experience more of what I have, that, that that is the heart of God. And to not let that be lost in the middle of these incredible and overwhelming displays of the transcendence and holiness of God that we encounter at Mount Sinai. Yeah. And if that, if that invitation was not true, he would not have sent Jesus. Exactly. So, yeah. So Jesus is, is in living flesh. God's invitation to come close. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, David, for your time today. Thank you. Joy to be with you. Joy to be with you. And thank you for to our audience, whether you've joined us live or whether you joined us later on our blog or on our face or on our podcast. (laughs) We're glad you spent some time with us. And if you have any questions, please leave those as comments on our blog or on our Facebook um, post. I will look at all of those. And um, I look forward to, we won't be meeting next week. So um, just be aware of that. David is on study leave next week. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Mm